0: Hello, folks. Welcome to Notoriously Episcopalian, a podcast of sermons from me, Kelly Hudlow, an itinerant Episcopal priest in Alabama. Thanks for listening. This is a sermon offered for the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, July 3rd, 2022, at St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Roanoke, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon is the final chapter of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 16. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This week I was listening to a podcast, an episode, um, a bonus episode from sort of a news story that covered um, a church out west that was led by a man named Mark Driscoll. The church's name was Mars Hill. Um, it was a non-denominational evangelical church and Mark Driscoll had gotten a lot of notoriety and fame, but then in a matter of months things sort of came to a head and, and it was found out that he was not treating his staff or people very well um, and that it was not a good and healthy situation and the church itself dissolved, right, and, and went its separate way. It was one big church, but then it had these Satellite churches, and so I was listening to a follow up podcast today about that, that was talking about the importance of ecclesialness in churches. And what that basically means is that it seems to be really important for a church to be connected not just to sort of a loose affiliation of friends or other churches, but that it be connected to some sort of institutional body beyond itself. And it talked about how there can be tensions between an individual church and the institution it's part of, but how that sort of tension is what seems to hold the two together. It keeps the church protected from individual sort of pastors or leaders that might try to take it in a direction it shouldn't go. But then it also, that individual church, challenges the institution to say, pay attention to my context and where I am and what my people need. Now, while this podcast was about non-denominational churches and sort of the evangelical movement that we've seen going around the country, I was driving and listening and thinking, well, this sure does sound like people need to be Episcopalians, right? If you think about our ecclesial nature, we have an Episcopal church here in Roanoke, but we are connected to a larger network or diocese of churches, some 86 churches and a camp and conference center and college ministry centers. In the Episcopal Church, the basic organization of the Episcopal Church isn't actually the individual churches, but it's the diocese, is the sort of central organizing unit of the church under a bishop. And then we all in our local places are an extension of that bishop's ministry, so priests are an extension of the ministry of the bishop. And your ministry here is an extension of the ministry of Christ Church in Tuscaloosa. And what happens at Camp McDowell is an extension of the ministry of St. Barnabas here in Roanoke. We're all connected in that sort of way. That we tend to feel that connectedness most when big things happen, right? So when we elect a new bishop and we have a big service at the cathedral and when it's not a pandemic, what that normally looks like is the cathedral is packed with people from around the diocese and everybody's banners are there and you have... Tons of acolytes and there's a big party afterwards. Or when we have a big event like the revival, which was sort of took the place of what it would have been when Bishop G. was consecrated. So we had our celebration sort of delayed. But it was people from all over the diocese there, worshiping together, represented in different sorts of ways. So it's the really good times that we're reminded that we're connected to this community beyond just here at St. Barnabas and Roanoke. It's also in bad times, right? The Episcopal Church has a real gift of showing up when the world seems to be falling apart. I remember the day after the April 27th, 2011 tornadoes standing on the lawn of Canterbury Chapel um, after we had begun to realize the amount of damage that had happened to Tuscaloosa. And Episcopalians from all over the place started rolling in with water and food and clothing and dry goods, right? We didn't even ask them. They just showed up when there was a shooting at an Episcopal church in Birmingham a few weeks ago. When I walked down the hill from checking on the bishop and the staff that were in a sort of a separate location, when I walked down the hill back to the public's parking lot, all of a sudden I realized that there were Episcopalians from all over the greater Birmingham area that had begun to show up and pray, clergy from different churches. When I looked at my phone, I realized that we were getting text messages and emails from around the diocese from around the country, and eventually from around the world, from Episcopalians in Europe and Anglicans in England and Australia and as far places as you could think, right? Because we were connected to something much bigger than ourselves. So in good times and in bad times, we remember that there is a church out there bigger than us. But we also should remember it on regular Sunday mornings when we sit here and worship together at St. Barnabas in Roanoke, knowing that our worship and witness is part of this greater body that is gathering to worship Christ on a Sunday morning. I say all of that to point us towards Paul's last chapter of Galatians. We get the full chapter this morning, right? Paul, in writing to the Galatians, has been really mad because the Galatians have missed the point somehow. And in a a, a sort of uncharacteristically Paul kind of way, he's mad and he's told them he's mad, he's called them fools because they have been deceived by these other folks around them that say, well, if you want to be a Christian, you have to do all of these other things. You have to follow the law of Moses, you have to be circumcised. You have to do all this other stuff. And Paul is writing to them in sort of in an angry kind of tone saying, no, you don't have to do that. We've told you you do not have to do that. Stop being distracted and deceived by these other people and focus on the new creation that has been brought about because of Jesus Christ. It's earlier in the book of Galatians, we heard it a few weeks ago, where Paul gives us that beautiful image of our unity, right? There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, right? We are all one in Christ. And then we heard last week about this freedom that we have received through Jesus Christ, right? It's not just a freedom to do whatever we want, to focus on our selfish desires and make ourselves happy. It's a freedom to live in love with, of our neighbor and of God and to serve each other and to take care of each other. And Paul really wants us to remember that because after he's painted this beautiful picture of a new creation where there's no longer any divisions and to where we are completely free to to make choices and live a life according to the spirit and not having to pay attention to what we eat and these laws and things that have governed us for so long, he brings us back to this very important point that this new creation, this freedom that we have received is grounded very much in our love of neighbor, and very much in the idea that we are to bear one another's burdens. Paul closes out his letter outlining what it looks like to be a community of faith in the life of the Spirit. It means to be a community that realizes that we are mutually dependent on one another, And by being mutually dependent, that means that one, we rely on each other for love and care, but we also rely on each other to point out if we're doing something wrong. But Paul gives us caution, right? This isn't like Facebook, right? Where somebody posts something and you get to go in on the comments and tell them that they are idiots and they shouldn't be saying this, right? Paul says that when you correct somebody, when you point something out to somebody, you have to do it in a spirit of gentleness and you have to be careful that you don't fall victim to the same sin that you're calling them out for or that you get too prideful in how right you are and how wrong they are but to realize that we are in a relationship together of taking care of each other, but of also of correcting each other and encouraging each other, right? And so that part of that life of the spirit is that we spend time in self-examination, While Paul strongly believes that it is only faith that is needed for salvation, he believes that that faith should manifest itself in actions, right? And so we have to make sure and pay attention to how we are acting and moving in the world, how we are taking care of each other, how we are engaging and leading in our communities. Are we living like we are people guided by the Spirit that have those fruits of the Spirit that we heard about the other week, right, of gentleness and patience? patience and kindness interestingly enough and i will not dwell here paul does say you need to pay your teachers it's what this little bit about making sure that those that teach you share in all the good of the community Um, but that is an important part of the community and church life right is that you are taking care of the people that are amongst you that are doing work in the church and taking care of the people that are doing work outside of the church Basically, what Paul wants the Galatians to understand is that their church is a family that's part of this larger network of the church that is a family that is built on the imitation of Christ and Christ's self-offering on the cross, that in that relationship even as we maybe correct each other or encourage each other, that we are to remove sort of the rivalry and the conflict that is so often found in communities. We should also take care of how we measure our success. Now Paul likes to talk in these sort of roundabout ways and he talks a lot about the law and about circumcision, and sometimes it's a little bit hard to sort of track what he's saying, but essentially what he is telling the Galatians is, is these people that want you to be circumcised and follow the law want to have the numbers on their side to be able to say, check, yes, these people have been circumcised and followed the law, that they are not concerned about are they building a community based on mutual inter, inter, interdependence, which is for the modern church, as we get very caught up in church numbers and how many people attend church on Sunday and who comes to what event and what goes into the offering plate, Paul says worry less about that and worry about how you are taking care of each other. That if you get caught up in the anxiety of the world, which is what Paul calls the flesh, that you will then lose sight of the spirit and what is to be guiding you. He reminds that the Galatians that whenever they have the opportunity that what they are called to do is to work for the good of all. That all of that unity, all of the freedom that Paul has talked about and written about up until this point comes down to this sort of very important notion of the life of a Christian led in the spirit is to work for the good of all. Tomorrow, we will celebrate our own Independence Day. It's interestingly enough, is a feast day in the Episcopal Church. So uh, we could be having church tomorrow with special readings um, that observe our Independence Day. Um, July 4th, of course, is not the founding of the country. It is the actual signing of the Declaration of Independence. And it's a celebration of that first step that we took as a country to claim independence and freedom from Britain and from a system that we found was not looking out for the good of all. When I was still practicing law in Tuscaloosa, the Tuscaloosa Bar began this custom where somewhere around the 4th of July, a bunch of lawyers would get together and we would stand on the courthouse steps and we would read the Declaration of Independence from beginning to end. It was always very hot. Um, And we would sort of step down in these ranks and we would read it. And of course, you know, everybody always wanted sort of the opening, you know, not verse, but the opening paragraph, which we all know we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Right. But then it goes on a really long time, right? Because the the, the folks that were writing the Declaration of Independence were sort of like Paul, right? I mean, they got to get everything in there. Like, Paul's letters tend to talk in circles because he is making sure that he's covering all of his bases when he's writing to these churches. And so the founding fathers, right, wrote this very long list of grievances and make this very intricate argument about why they should be able to do something That at that point in Western history had not been done, which is to say, we're gonna make a new government. And so we would read this, and you would always, you know, you always hated to be the one sort of in the middle that's talking about different sorts of taxes and grievances. But I found in doing that for a couple of years that where I actually wanted to be was I wanted to read at the end. Because the way the Declaration of Independence ends, to me, I think is really important. Because it's sort of like what Paul is writing to the Galatians. Paul talks about that we are unified, that we are a new creation, that we're given this great freedom. But that freedom has to be grounded in our connection to each other. In our country, we've sort of put a myth around the founding of this country, that it's rugged individualism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and all of that, right? The individual freedoms and individual rights is what they were going after, Except, at the end of their long argument and statement of grievances, this is how the Declaration of Independence ends. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we, so the folks that did all this writing, we, mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Because see, even in that moment at the founding of this country where we were claiming all of these freedoms for ourselves and to not have a form of government that we didn't agree to, we knew that at the end of the day it was going to take each other to do it. And so they pledged their lives, their fortunes, whatever that might be, and their sacred honor. They bore each other's burdens They knew that if they were going to accomplish the impossible, that it was going to take all of them to be able to do it. And so on this Sunday, right before July 4th, I invite you to one, remember that you are part of something bigger than even just what's here right now. You're connected to a diocese of 30,000 people that love and care for each other and celebrate each other and show up when things are bad and when they're hard and that we correct each other and challenge each other and encourage each other and we do all of that because we have been given freedom in Christ to do so. And in this current moment when we are maybe most tempted to see only what we want or to let what is going on around us turn us against each other, to remember that really at the foundation of our country is this understanding that we need each other to do this. We need each other to protect each other's freedom. We need each other to take care of each other. And that we are still answering sort of the call of Paul, right, who we wrote to the Galatians so long ago, Is our challenge today is still the same, which is to not grow weary in doing what is right. Amen.